Welcome to the action field brought to you by Best Mind. My name's David, and to learn more about what Best Mind has to offer and what this world of Best Mind is all about, go to bestmind.com.au and at the very least consider signing on to the mailing list. Every Monday morning at 5am in your inbox, should you choose to sign on, you will get a weekly wisdom email, also called the One Percenter Series. Now, what that contains is little bite-sized bits of wisdom to help you crush each week. Although every now and then we send something with poetry in it as well, which is a little more gentle in its potential positive influence. But let's get into today's episode. And we're going to start with Guru Dev. Now, Guru Dev was the teacher of Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, who is the man famed for bringing transcendental meditation across to the West from India in 1959. He arrived then, I think, was it LA or San Francisco or something? Anyway, it was the West Coast of the States. And yeah, he has since then managed to spread transcendental meditation the non-commercial version of which is called Vedic meditation. It's spread all throughout the world. Now, back to Guru Dev. So he had a whole bunch of followers, obviously. And this one time, all of his followers were waiting for him to appear and give his daily sermon. I guess you could call it a sermon of sorts to them. So they're all waiting. Half an hour goes by, an hour goes by, 90 minutes goes by. And like, hmm, what's going on? Where's Guru Dev? Two hours goes by. Finally, he appears. He stands before them and then says, Nivartatvam. Bows and then walks off. And basically, everyone's left scratching their head. Now, Nivartatvam, the literal translation or meaning of that is retire from where you are. But the connotation of that phrase is transcend where you are. Now, before we go any further, I just want to say whenever I mention transcendence, transcendental or transcend, I'm using it in the colloquial form, which basically just means to go beyond. Otherwise, we risk going into the world of neo-Kantianism and Becoming more librarians of this philosophy rather than warriors of philosophy who live it in our day-to-day life. So now let's cross to Ralph Waldo Emerson. If you remember a couple of episodes back, he appeared in Little Bites with his essay, Self-Reliance. But let's hear from him again. This is from Self-Reliance by Ralph Waldo Emerson. Power ceases in the instant of repose. It resides in the moment of transition from a past to a new state. So, nivartatvam, which, remember, means transcend where you are. Now, like Emerson said, power, dot, 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 resides in the moment of transition from a past to a new state. So, let's talk about this relative to meditation. Now, This is a bit advanced as when you first learn meditation with me, particularly, you'll learn the practice in its simple and highly beneficial form. So I'm kind of jumping a little bit ahead here, but it's good to know what lies in the future should you choose to learn meditation. So once you're established 
in meditation, nivartatvam, transcend where you are. What are you going to do with the wisdom gained in meditation? Because it can be a spiritual trap of sorts, or at the very least, it's good to be weary of letting meditation become only a form of escapism from the stresses and dramas of the real world. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, like Aurelius said, you can retreat into yourself at any time. It's a valuable asset to have. But if we end up using meditation only for that, like, oh, this is all too much. Oh, I'm going to meditate. Well, then it's just really spiritual escapism, isn't it? Like I said, fine at times, not always though. Ultimately, what we want to do is learn to form little waves of power from the ocean of oneness that we enter as we transcend in meditation. So, Nivar Tatvam doesn't just mean transcend into meditation from your normal state, from your normal waking state. It also refers to transitioning out of meditation. And as Emerson said, power resides in the moment of transition from a past to a new state. And this is why meditation can be so damn powerful. It's not just a calming practice focused on healing. No. With devotion and with consistency in your practice, it will imbue you with agency. The ability to form your own waves of action from the ocean of oneness, which we enter in meditation. So our consciousness could be described like this. Day-to-day living, it's like a pond, right? It's like the water in a pond. Then as we enter meditation, we begin to transcend. You could say the water of consciousness begins flowing down a river. Where other ponds water begins to join. Now, all of this water then begins to flow down the river and eventually reach the ocean. And that's what I'm saying when I'm talking about the ocean of oneness. You could call that the experience of transcendence in meditation. Now, quick side note, just getting back to agency, just want to take a little quotation from the book, The Power of Agency. Here we go. In simple words, agency is what humans have always used to feel in command of their lives. With it, people are able to live in ways that reflect their interests, values, and inner motivations. And furthermore, here's another little hit. The ability to act as an effective agent for yourself, making creative choices and constructing a meaningful life. That is this sense of agency. So clearly having a sense of agency is a great thing. It's that sense that you have the ability to get yourself from where you are right now to where you want to be. And what's one thing that can help give you this sense? Meditation. Now, remember Guru Dev's famous one-word lecture, Nivartatvam. Learn meditation, practice with devotion, and then once you've become 
well-versed or once you find it easier or a little more frequent to transcend in meditation into that ocean of oneness, then you can begin to form waves of your own from your ocean of oneness, transitioning out of meditation and you can ride these waves of action and creative expression. Remember, Ralph Waldo Emerson said, power resides in the moment of transition from a past to a new state. And we are all capable of experiencing this kind of power.
crazy data there with the strategy of the crown from the album I Sell Them Dream. I'll drop another track from that later on, but let's get back to Ralph Waldo Emerson. This one fact the world hates, that the soul becomes, for that forever degrades the past, turns all riches to poverty, all reputation to a shame, confounds the saint with the rogue, shoves Jesus and Judas equally aside. Inasmuch as the soul is present, there will be power not confident, but agent. How's that, huh? The soul becomes. We are constantly in a state of development, a state of becoming. Now, this isn't just something that's limited to the life of the artist. The artist must uh, learn to be in touch with their steeper self and then begin to express that to the world. No, this is like for all of us. With all of us, the soul becomes. And why does the world hate this fact? Because it means that we are never exonerated from the need for personal development or for a personal and spiritual growth. Exonerated means accepted. So in this lifetime, it's never going to happen where we will reach a point or where there will come a moment of, oh, I finally made it. My spiritual and personal development is complete. Thank fuck. No, no. The soul becomes. It's constantly in a state of becoming. And as such, where does power lie? Well, like Emerson said, it's in transition from a past to a new state. That's what the line, in as much as the soul is present, there will be power, not confident, but agent, means. Now, of course, confidence which, as we know, like I've said in prior episodes, if we break the word confidence down, confidere, it means deep trust. So, of course, confidence is super important. But as Emerson said, power resides in agency, in our ability to act as agent for ourselves, to make creative choices and construct a meaningful life. And yeah, the world hates that because it requires courage to make creative choices and not follow the safety of the set path. A quote I said in prior episodes from Emerson, again, from the same essay, Self-Reliance, for non-conformity, the world whips you with its displeasure. Now, it also requires surrender to construct a meaningful life. Surrender to what? Surrender to the nature of the universe, which is that of constant flux, constant change. Now, those two virtues, surrender and courage, are two of the main virtues we focus on in our four-day virtue meditation course. Getting back to Emerson. Remember he said the soul becomes and we can only begin to integrate this soul force if we stay open to change and acknowledge that we don't know it all. Now that takes great humility, surrender and courage. So hell yeah, the world hates that fact. And as such, Emerson goes on to say, we must 
go alone. Now, Joseph Campbell also says of the hero's journey, this is paraphrased, by the way. If there's a path laid out in front of you, it's not the right path. We must enter the jungle at the darkest point and forge our own way. The metaphorical jungle of life, that is. Now, that sounds killer, right? It's pretty powerful stuff. But let's get back to Emerson, who I love so much, because as you'll hear, he always keeps it real. At times, the whole world seems to be in conspiracy to importune you with emphatic trifles. Friend, client, child, sickness, fear, want, charity, all knock at once at that closet door and say, Come out unto us, but keep thy state. Come not into their confusion. The power men have to annoy me, I give them by a weak curiosity. No man can come near me but through my act. Now, if we look at curiosity as a virtue, Emerson is saying that he gives people the power to annoy him due to a deficiency in his own curiosity. If you remember back to last week's episode, we have virtue in the middle. Curiosity is the sweet spot. Either side, we have the vice of deficiency and the vice of excess. Here, Emerson is saying that through his own deficiency of curiosity, he lets people annoy him. Now, this goes back to the fact that the world hates, which is that the soul becomes. We must stay open to change and enable the integration of soul force into our daily lives. And how do we do this? Well, meditation, obviously, and by being curious. The virtue of curiosity, huge. Being always open to learning more about ourselves and our relationship to the world that we live in. So stay curious and open and you won't be bothered so much by these emphatic trifles the world seemed to constantly present us with. You could say that COVID and vaccines are a bloody good example of this. Now, Emerson goes on to say, Henceforward, I am the truths. Be it known unto you that henceforward I obey no law less than the eternal law. I must be myself. I will so trust that what is deep and holy, that I will do strongly before the sun and moon whatever inly rejoices me and the heart appoints. Emerson, man, he's a damn good writer. Holy shit. Imagine hearing this as a, a speech of his back in the mid-19th century. Wow, like that's seriously powerful stuff. So, like he said, act from the heart, act with courage. Remember, core, meaning heart, is the root word of courage. If you need a little trigger to remember, just remember the school, Sacre Coeur. It means sacred heart. Coeur means heart. So to act from the heart is the essence of courage. And to obey no law less than the eternal law is to surrender 
to the nature of the manifest world, which is that of change. It's constant change, constant growth as your soul becomes. Though the soul itself is eternal. <laughs> but essentially what we want to do is to build a bridge between the manifest world that we live in and the eternal nature of the soul. And how do we do this? We do this by embodying the virtues of surrender, curiosity, and courage. Surrender to what? Surrender to the nature of the manifest world, which is that of constant evolution. We are a part of this world. So, of course, we ourselves are constantly evolving. And then we have curiosity, the curiosity to understand ourselves, understand our motivations for wanting to do what we endeavor to do and for understanding a curiosity to understand our relationship to this world that we live in that we are a part of and last but not least courage the virtue of courage the courage to act from the heart in the face of all fear and resistance
easy data there with If Everything Seems Lost from the album I Seldom Dream. Now we're going to go straight back to Emerson again. Some of you may actually know this quotation here. Again, it's from his brilliant essay, Self-Reliance. Let's get straight into it. And truly it demands something godlike in him who has cast off the common motives of humanity and has ventured to trust himself for a taskmaster. High be his heart, faithful his will, clear his sight, that he may in good earnest be doctrine, society, law to himself that a simple purpose may be to him as strong as iron necessity is to others. Wow. Ralphie, man, laying it down. Now remember, two episodes back, Henri Matisse and Malcolm Blight, they both chose to trust themselves for a taskmaster. And they both copped fierce criticism. Remember Emerson's line, for non-conformity, the world whips you with its displeasure. And should you choose, should you decide to be doctrine, society, law to yourself, you'll likely face similar criticism. But this is the essence of greatness. Marcus Aurelius talks about this all the time. Mentioning numerous times throughout meditations, trying to urge himself to, to not feel or to question his feelings of harm from external sources. In this instance, say the Henri Matisse and Malcolm Blight example, copying criticism from the external Aurelius copying the same back in ancient Rome. Man, he was the emperor. Can you imagine what kind of stuff this guy copped? Always urged himself to not be harmed by the external, reminding himself that his divine center, his soul is untouchable. So to truly follow your own path and cast off the common motives of mankind, it most certainly demands something godlike. But here's the thing. We all have this divine essence within, just like Aurelius would always remind himself in his personal journal, which is published as meditations. Now we all have this divine essence within Pope Francis says of this, that fact that we all have God within is really the only thing that connects us all. And you're free to do with that fact whatever you like. Even if that means denying your divinity, you are free to choose. Now, personally, I choose the endeavor to integrate this divinity into my daily life via ritualistic practices. Now, these are everyday practices such as like I've said in past episodes, you know, talking about myself, it's like, oh, man, fucking whatever. It's the best example I can give. So 
I choose every day. I rise early between 4 to 4.30 a.m. Then I meditate for half an hour. And then in the afternoon, I do another 30 minutes meditation. Now, a little side note. When you begin your practice, you will begin with only two lots of 20 minutes meditation. Later on down the line, when you learn your advanced mantra, we up it to 30 minutes. But getting back to my morning routine. So after I've done my 30 minutes meditation, then I have my virtue journal practice. Then after the virtue journal practice, I go into deep work. Now, this is for a minimum of 45 minutes, maximum 90 minutes. When I say deep work, I mean zero distractions, nothing. The last goddamn thing in the world I'll have is my phone sitting on the table as I'm doing a deep work session. In fact, this first deep work session of mine in the morning, it's pre-digital input. So there is no way in hell I'm getting up and looking at bloody Instagram or text messages or whatever before I nail the shit out of this first deep work session. It's total focused and it's primarily on creative tasks. As the saying goes, be creative before reactive. So before I bother with any administration kind of duties, I will do the creative writing first. So this takes place in my first deep work session. Once I've nailed that, I'll go out and train for minimum 45 minutes and it's pretty intense. Like this morning, for example, I did uh, ran four 1Ks, quick circuit after that, and then done. Following that, 10 to 15 minutes breath work or pranayama, if you will. This is my morning routine. And this is, as Emerson says, to keep my heart high, my will faithful, and my sight clear. Of course, like doing this every day, it's not easy as a little side note, you could say if self-reliance is a form of freedom, then perhaps the French ex- existentialist, I can spit that out, Jean-Paul Sartre's famous line is fitting. He has this line, it goes, we are condemned to be free. <laughs> it cracks me up. The freedom to choose what you want to do. And if you know, should you exercise that? freedom to its full extent, well, your life's not necessarily going to be easy, but it's going to be virtuous and you will experience life to the fullest. Henri Matisse and Malcolm Blight both copped fierce criticism for exercising this freedom, but they chose to trust themselves regardless. And fair to say the footy gods and the lords of art and expression well they took quite a liking to their divine commitment so if you wish to instill some of these ritualistic practices into your own daily life in order to commune with the higher powers that are within you that are within us all reach out to me get in touch meditation teaching you meditation this happens over a Four days. It's a four-day course. Four days in a row is important. And each session is about 90 minutes to two hours. You will come in on day one. We'll have a little ceremony to honor the divine nature of what's about to take place. You learning meditation. 
Then I will give you your mantra. Each mantra is specific to you. Then we'll meditate together, then discuss the practice, and each following day will follow alike. Now, this extends into high-performance mind coaching, where, as the coach, I will be doing all the listening to try and find out exactly what it is that you really want in your deepest self and how it is you wish to go about achieving that, expressing that, any obstacles that may come up or obstacles that are currently holding you back in the form of potentially stories that you tell yourself. And we all have this, these stories that we tell ourselves that hold us back. So in terms of high performance mind coaching, the program is never really set because it depends a lot on you. Of course, there'll be things like virtue and the embodiment of virtue that we can discuss. And we can go through breathing techniques, do some pranayama work together. We'll meditate together if you like. But it's really all about me listening to you, doing some deep listening to you and helping you realize your deepest potential and to do it with great courage. Remember, courage is of the heart. So helping you to tap that heart source and like Emerson said, in good earnest, i.e. with humility, be doctrine, society and law to yourself. All right. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. Did you hear the little distortion bit just then? There's something going on with my microphone where it distorts every now and then. I'll try and sort out that problem so it doesn't happen again. But like I was saying, thank you so much for tuning in. And we will catch you next week. <laughs>